Well, this evening we're thinking about a way in which uh, believers in Christ are to be prepared. Last time we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, and we thought about the hope that is in you being such that we, uh, we see that we have uh, a privileged position. Uh, it also provides us with a, a proper perspective. And it also assures us of the prevailing purpose of God. Now we're going to think about giving a reason for the hope that is in you. Because in second half of verse 15 and verse 16, we see that another result of sanctifying Christ as, as Lord in your hearts that Peter mentions is always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. I think in that text we see that Peter presents a scenario. Uh, he also presents an expectation and a purpose. So firstly, let's think about the scenario that, that Peter sets before us. Uh, it, it's one in which uh, his readers were being asked a question. He's getting them to think about a situation in which someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The word that's been translated there as, as reason, it could equally well be uh, uh, translated as account or explanation. The question that's really being asked is, why do you have a hope within you? What, what's the basis of the hope that is within you? The idea is, is of being asked to give a, a rational account uh, of, the, of, of the reason for the hope that's within you. It's being asked to explain yourself. Now Peter said always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that word defence could perhaps make it sound a bit like a, a kind of courtroom setting, couldn't it, in which a, a defendant is being uh, uh, in which a defendant is being uh, defending against legal charges being made against them. And certainly there are times that we read of in the New Testament, don't we, when, when Paul was in exactly that sort of situation. He was hauled before the authorities and he made a defence before them. And you might well think, well, I'm not likely to be called to appear in court for my faith. So what Peter's saying here doesn't really apply to me. But you'll notice that Peter didn't say always being prepared to make a defence when judges or authorities ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. No, he said always being prepared to make a defence to anyone, anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So no doubt the, the scenario that, that Peter was presenting here, oh yeah, it would have included that kind of legal courtroom situation, uh, which 
as I say, Paul sometimes found himself in, uh, believers in other parts of the world find themselves in nowadays. But he had something far broader in mind than that. He's thinking of any situation in which someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Primarily that would be day-to-day situations. That would be in the course of, of everyday conversations. Now that Peter envisaged that scenario shows that he expected that as believers in Christ we are likely to be asked to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Why, why would that situation arise? Well surely it's because the lives of believers should show that they have a hope, a hope within them. That hope should be evident, that that should have uh, an outward effect. It, it should be seen. You see, as believers in Christ, we don't merely have a hope for the future. We we do. Our hope is for a glorious, eternal future. But it's a hope that is within us now. It's a living hope uh, at the very centre of our beings. And although it's it's within us, the fact that Peter envisages that we'll be asked about it shows that this is seen. People should notice it. It should make a difference in in the way that we live. It's to be seen, it's to be worked out in our daily lives. No one would ask about it if it was a private hope that was simply tucked away and hidden in our hearts and had no effects on our daily lives. The hope within must affect all that we say and all that we do so that it's evident to those around us. Well, I wonder, is the hope that is in you so evident that you're sometimes asked about it. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? Do you experience that scenario? Are you ever asked to give a reason for the hope that is within? And and if not, then perhaps we should be praying about that, praying that our lives would be more clearly demonstrating that we have a hope within us so that people are prompted to ask the question of us. Well, that's the scenario. Uh, But next, you see, when someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, you notice that we have an expectation. If someone asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, what does Peter expect you to do? Well, the ESV gives the expectation as always being prepared to make a defence. The NIV has always be prepared to give an answer. Firstly, notice that Peter presupposes here that our faith is reasonable. The, the, The very fact that when asked for a reason for the hope that is in you, you can make a defense or you can give an answer, that that indicates that our faith is reasonable. The faith that is within us isn't something that's, that, that's irrational. Um, we might not be able to conclusively prove it, but it's not based on, on wishy-washy, airy feelings, airy-fairy feelings. It's not based on any sort of mumbo-jumbo. It's not the result of indoctrination. It has a solid rational basis that can be articulated in readily 
understandable words. So in responding to such a question, uh, we're not simply to express our feelings, we're to express solid reasons. However, in doing so, it's, it's important to avoid Christian jargon uh, or, or deeply theological terminology. Uh, that mean nothing to, to the people that are asking the questions. And we can all be very guilty of that, can't we? We, we can churn out very impressive sounding Christian words, Christian terms, uh, and think that's really compelling, that's really convincing. And it actually means nothing to, to the hearers. So we need to be make a real effort to, to answer such questions in a clear way, uh, in language that, that, that our questioners will actually understand. But next notice that Peter isn't simply speaking about giving an answer. He's talking about being prepared to do so. At first sight, you might take be prepared to just mean be willing to. Uh, but I think there's more to it there than just willingness. Now, I asked if anybody was in, in the Boy Scouts. Uh, I was actually in the Boys Brigade when, when I was younger. Uh, and I have to say, we, we felt vastly superior to the Boy Scouts because they couldn't march, they didn't have a band, and they, they wore silly woggles. And you can all lynch me afterwards. <laughs> but that was what we thought in the Boys Brigade. But you see... Despite my non-involvement in the Boy Scouts, I was very aware that their motto was be prepared. And that came to my mind as I was considering this verse. Now, Robert Baden-Powell, the founder of the Scouts, he explained that mo motto as follows. Uh, he said, be prepared in mind by having disciplined yourself to, to, to obedience to every order and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. Be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active and able to do it. Uh, so to do the right thing uh, at the right moment and do it. Now that's quite a convoluted uh, sentence there, isn't it? But... Uh, You'll see, uh, really, at the very at the very heart of it, the, the 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 gist of what he's saying is that being prepared is to be both willing and able. It speaks uh, of being suitably equipped uh, as well as being well intentioned. They're both essential if anything's to be achieved, aren't they? You, know, you might be willing to do something. But you won't accomplish anything if you haven't got the ability to do it. It doesn't matter how much you want to, how, how ready you are. Uh, if you haven't got the ability, it won't get done. Uh, and, and conversely, you, know, you might be well equipped to do something. But you won't accomplish much without willingness to use that ability. Ability accomplishes nothing unless you use it. And to use it, there has to be... That willingness. Well, the expectation that Peter's expressing for us is to be both willing and able to, to do something. So you're to be prepared for a situation in which someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you by being willing to give an answer and by being able to give 
an answer. Next notice the text says being prepared. Now let's get a feel for the flow of what Peter's saying by by reading from uh, the end of verse 14. It said, have no fear of them, that's those that are against you, those, those who would harm you. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. So this always being prepared, it stems from honouring Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts. If Christ is Lord in your heart, so that you have a personal trust in him alone, then besides giving rise to that perspective of no fear that that we touched on last week, uh, when faced with the opposition of men, uh, uh, it will also result in being prepared. You honour Christ Christ the Lord as holy by always being prepared. Having Christ as Lord in your heart results in going beyond not fearing men to being willing and able to do something. And what it makes us willing and able to do uh, is, in the ESV, to make a defence. Or in the NIV, to give an answer. Uh, The Greek word translated as defence or answer there is apologia. Uh, It's the word from which we get the the English word apology. And in in everyday modern parlance, we, we think in terms of being apologetic as being sorry for something don't we you know when you've wronged someone hopefully you you apologize to them you you give an apology if you've accidentally trod on someone's foot or accidentally bumped into someone on the crowded train or whatever you're given apology so that's the way in which we tend to use use the word apology uh, nowadays it's an expression of regret and peter certainly isn't saying anything like that here you know, he's not saying that when you are asked for a reason for the hope that's in you you are to reply by saying well I'm, I'm ever so sorry but that's just what I happen to believe we're not being apologetic in, in that sense at all but you see the English word apology also has a much more technical meaning that refers to making a rigorous defence of a belief. Now we tend not to use apology in that way uh, nowadays very often. Um, but you, you'd often look at old textbooks and old theological works and things that say an apology concerning and you know it's not, not being sorry for something, it's actually defending something. So we tend not to use it that way but uh, I suppose nowadays, I mean we use the word apologetics and that's probably the, the one sense in which that meaning is still reasonably commonly used nowadays. But of course, you know, apologetics, it sounds, it sounds very academic, doesn't it? It sounds, uh, you, you tend to think of, of complicated intellectual arguments being put forward to support the validity of the faith. Now, although there's certainly a place for, a place for formal apologetics, that's not particularly what Peter has in mind here either. He's not saying that we're all to be steeped in apologetics. Um, generally, when that Greek word apologia is used in the New Testament, it has the sense simply of answer a question or, or reply to an accusation. 
And Peter's simply saying here that when anyone questions the reason for the hope that is in you, if you're honouring Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts, you'll be willing and able to give a clear answer, to give a clear explanation. I think besides recognising that Peter's not saying that we're all to be steeped in apologetics, I think we also need to recognise that he's not saying that we're all to be full-on evangelists either. You know, sometimes Christians can be made to feel quite inadequate because so much pressure is heaped upon them to be evangelising. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't witness. I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, take every opportunity to point others to Christ. But, you know, there can be that awful guilt trip that's placed upon people. You know, I haven't witnessed in the last week. What an awful Christian I must be. Um, Peter isn't saying here that everybody is to be a a full-on evangelist. The, The fact is, we are not all gifted as evangelists we don't all have the ability to to go out of our way to engage with strangers and directly challenge them with the gospel so yes we're to witness whenever we can at work with families or whatever but he's not saying that we're all to be full-on evangelists having recognized that we also have to see here that we are all to be willing and able to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you like, that's, that's the bare minimum. We, we should all do that. We should all be willing and able to do that at least. From the text, uh, I think we see three aspects to this expectation. Um, that, that you'll be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a, hope, a reason for the hope that is in you. Um, it's characterised by constancy, uh, civility and consistency. See the aspects of constancy there in verse 15, because Peter says, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks. Now that word always suggests constancy, doesn't it? It's not saying that we are to be always making a defence, because we can only do that when someone asks us the question. So it doesn't mean every minute of every day we are to be uh, making this defence. No, it's saying we're always to be prepared to make such a defence when asked for the reason for the hope that is in you. We're to be in a state of, of constant readiness for whenever someone asks that question. We're to be a bit like firemen, if you like, Um, Most of the time, firemen aren't going out answering emergency calls. Most of the time, they're holed up in the fire station, aren't they? Uh, But they're always ready to respond when the call comes. And we're to be always ready to answer when the question comes. Now, as I say, they spend a lot of their time in the fire station... Um, but that's not to say that they're idle between calls either, is it? You know, when they're not out on uh, on emergency calls, they're, they're training. They're maintaining the equipment that they need to be able to do the job and respond. That's that's all part of being prepared. And that's what we're to be like. 
always ready so that when the call comes we respond uh, and in the meantime honing our skills practicing doing whatever it takes to, to make sure that we are equipped uh, as well as willing to answer the question when it comes the aspect of constancy I think is also suggested by the words anyone who asks or the NIV says everyone who asks we're not to pick and choose who to answer we're to be constant in answering anyone and everyone who asks regardless of whether they're, they're rich or poor powerful or weak intelligent or simple we're not to be afraid to answer those who might intimidate us because they seem to be more powerful than us or, or more clever than us after all our hope is not that the products of our own intellects but of God's work through Jesus on the cross having been applied to our hearts and lives by his spirit and neither are we to be unwilling to answer those who we might think to be beneath us why? well because all need the gospel all need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ so it's anyone it's everyone who asks so we don't only answer uh, whenever someone asks we answer whoever asks and notice too there's no mention here of why someone might be asking Peter doesn't specify whether the question stems from general interest idle curiosity a genuine desire to, to know something polite conversation a hostile attitude you know, there's all sorts of reasons why people might ask the question but the fact is that regardless of when or who or why if the question is asked we're to be constant in our readiness uh, to, to provide an answer we see the aspects of civility as Peter continues in verse 15 uh, where he says yet do it with gentleness and respect you see it's, it's not merely giving an answer that matters yet how we give the answer uh, is also important you know, a, an excellent clearly worded answer can be completely ruined if it's accompanied by a, a by poor manner, a poor, poor, poor manner or a bad attitude, but the word that's been translated here as as gentleness could, could equally be translated as meekness or or humility. It speaks of the manner in which we're to make a defence or to give an answer to those who ask us for a reason. I'm sure we've all, all noticed that if. Um, if, if politicians or speakers or preachers even for that matter uh, if they're unsure of their position they become increasingly strident and loud in defending it and the more they do so the less convincing they become you might even have done the same, same sort of thing yourself but you see we're to, to answer with gentleness meekness humility Having said that we're to answer with gentleness, um, Peter then goes on to say, and respect. 
Now that might give the impression that he's saying that we're to be respectful to those who ask the question. And we certainly should be respectful to those who, who ask the question. But I don't think the translators have quite captured the right sense here. Because the, the Greek word translated as respect is actually phobos. And that means fear. Um, and we've seen on several previous occasions uh, in, in this letter that Peter invariably uses the word phobos of the fear of God. Now, he's certainly not saying that we're to fear men who, who question us. I mean, he's just said that we're to have no fear of those who would harm us, those who would oppose us. So we certainly shouldn't have fear of those who simply ask us a question. Rather, our respect for God, our reverence for him, uh, our sure hope in him should provide us with a deep and settled conviction so we don't feel the need to, to be strident and aggressive. A proper reverence for God leads to humility because our confidence is in him. It's not, it's not in ourselves. It, it doesn't depend on us. Our confidence is in him, so we can answer with humility. Having that right relationship with God by, reviewing, by, by viewing him as Lord enables us to respond to questioners with, with the appropriate gentleness and humility. So the defence that we make will be characterised by civility. And then in verse 16 we see that aspect of consistency. Peter says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. You see, regarding being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, Peter didn't stop at saying, yet do it with gentleness and, uh, and respect. He went on to say, having a good conscience. The NIV has keeping a clear conscience, which sounds as though we're to make an effort to keep our consciences clear. But that isn't the, that isn't the emphasis here, that having a good conscience is the correct translation. The fact is that as believers in Christ, we do have a good conscience. The, the, the writer to Hebrews tells us that our consciences have been cleansed and purified by the blood of Christ. So we answer those who question us uh, and we do so in a way that's consistent with the good conscience in the context uh, of a life that's consistent with that good conscience. You notice verse 16 speaks of your good behaviour in Christ. Our lives are to be an outworking of what we are in Christ. In the immediate context, bringing that good conscience to bear when we answer those who question us, will mean that we'll answer them with honesty. We'll answer them with integrity. You know, we're not to embellish uh, what we say in order to try to make the gospel more appealing to our, our hearers. You know, we're not trying to con anyone. It's not win them over at all costs. It's be truthful to them. Tell them the truth. We're not to put on an act that will impress them we don't want ourselves to impress them we want them to hear the truth we're not to exaggerate we're to say 
what we honestly know to be true. So you see, uh, even giving an answer with, with civility is not enough. I'm sure we've all come across uh, people who appear to be very civil, but it's, it's just a facade. Well, the answer we give is to be convincing and our civility is to be seen to be genuine by being supported by a consistent life. The words of our answer and our civil manner and the civil manner of our answer are to be backed up by the inner reality of having a good conscience and the outward reality of having good behaviour in Christ. Responding by speaking words, words with civility uh, and backing them up with, a cons- with consistent lives is much more eloquent and compelling than words alone. In modern day parlance, we're to walk the walk, the walk as well as talk the talk. Uh, as I read somewhere, I don't know who, who said this, but it struck me when I read it, the Christian is both defendant and attorney. We defend our faith with our mouths and back it up with our lives. Life and lip must match for a powerful testimony. Well, finally and briefly, let's uh, think about the purpose that Peter's going to give a purpose uh, in giving an answer or making a defence is indicated there in verse 16 by the words so that what, what, what he goes on to say probably comes as a bit of a surprise you know you might well expect uh, after all that that the so that would be oh, so that they come to faith in Christ uh, or be encouraged to think about their need of Christ But what he actually says is, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. You see, the purpose that he draws to our attention relates to a, a particular situation again. That is, when you are slandered. In what way does Peter expect us to be slandered? Well, we see he expects that people will revile your good behaviour in Christ, that is to say, they'll they'll criticise, they'll, they'll mock, they'll belittle, that they'll vilify the good behaviour that results from our being in Christ. And it seems quite incongruous, doesn't it, that uh, that anyone would revile good behaviour? It's quite counterintuitive, really. But you see, in this twisted and fallen world in which we live. Many people do exactly that. People mock the godly behaviour of Christians. That they resent wholesome family lives. That they resent our sexual purity. Uh, they, they, they detest our responsible stewardship of, of money or, or possessions or, or, or anything else. That they, they detest our honesty and so on. That's all too bland for them. You know, that they prefer and admire something that's far more rock and roll. But you see, the purpose in making this gentle defence, in in keeping with a clear conscience when anyone asks you for a a reason for the hope that is in you, that Peter draws to our attention, is that those who slander you by reviling your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. 
that might give the impression that the purpose is that they'll be that they'll be embarrassed or they'll that they'll be made to feel bad. But that isn't actually the idea here. Uh, it's to do with, with standing rather than their their emotions or, or their feelings. Um, you get a sense uh, of the meaning of being put to shame if you look at Luke Luke chapter thirteen, and there you have a an account of a, a confrontation between Jesus and uh, and the rulers of the synagogue. Uh, Jesus w- was teaching in the synagogue. Uh, on, on the Sabbath, and he healed a woman who had been disabled for 18 years. And the rulers, instead of being thankful and, and glorifying God, accused him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus defended his actions. And then we read in verse uh, 17 of Luke, thir- uh, of Luke 13, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced uh, at all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, in saying that his adversaries, that's the rulers of of the synagogue, uh, in saying that they were put to shame, it's not saying, well, they were thoroughly ashamed of themselves, that they they were put in their place, that that they changed their minds, that they repented of the way in which they'd, they'd responded to him. No, he's saying that they were clearly seen to be wrong in making those accusations. And so Jesus was vindicated and the people rejoiced and and gloried in in what they'd witnessed. Well, likewise, you're to be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for for a question, for a reason for the hope that's in you, so that those who slander you and revile your good behaviour might be seen to be mistaken they might be seen to be in the wrong it's not just uh, the contents of your answer but the manner uh, of your answer that, that, that should have that effect gentleness and the consistency of your answer will be in marked contrast to, to the slander that comes from those who revile your good behavior in Christ and of course that the aim of their being put to shame in this way is not to make you look good no, it's for the glory of God. It's so that the power of his work in the gospel might be seen and might be acknowledged. Oh, it won't be by all, but there'll be those that do. There'll be those that see the difference and they'll rejoice in what God has done. And that would especially be the case if those who revile your, your, uh, your, your, revile your good, good, good behaviour in Christ were to come to put their faith in him, wouldn't it? Last thing to notice is that there's no pressure to be successful in this. Uh, we, we live in a world that's very results-centred, don't we? How often do you hear football managers say, it's a results game? Uh, and the same is true in many other areas of life. But you see, it's not the case in God's kingdom. He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be faithful. And if we do those things, that's the result. He doesn't require us to be successful in terms of outcomes. Oh, We're expected to be prepared to make a defence. We're not responsible for the outcome of doing so. 
You see, Peter doesn't say that the purpose is that they will be put to shame, but that they may be put to shame. You know, our giving an answer opens up the possibility, but there are no guarantees what the outcome will be. That's in the hands of God. He's the one who puts the shame. He's the one who brings about conviction. He's the one who uh, can change hearts and bring someone to faith in Christ. It's through his work and not ours. So may each of us who who knows Jesus as Saviour and Lord always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a, a reason for the hope that is in you. May you do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, and may you do so in the liberating knowledge that the outcome depends on the outworking of God's will and God's purpose. Amen.